You're listening to Grow Yourself Up, a weekly mental health podcast hosted by Kath Cunahan. I'm a psychotherapist, writer, and speaker working in private practice in London. I specialize in the impact of our own childhood on our parenting and how we can heal and integrate our childhood trauma, wounding, and stress so that we can inhabit our full adult selves. Join us each week as we talk about all things growing ourselves up, how we can tend to ourselves in our parenting, generational healing, and overcoming the impacts of childhood trauma. Together, we will become more self-compassionate, connected, authentic, resilient, and heart-centered, so we can live our own full and beautiful lives. As a listener of this podcast, you're welcome to come over and join the Facebook group. So search on Facebook for Grow Yourself Up. It's a private Facebook group of all the listeners. And did you know there are journal prompts that go along with every episode? So sign up for the journal prompts on kathcunahan.com or go to my Instagram, kathcunahan, and sign up at the link in the bio there. And you will get my newsletter, Nurture, Heal, Grow, which contains all the journal prompts. Looking forward to seeing you in the Facebook group. The podcast is produced each week by the wonderful Audio Cafe. Thanks for being here. It's episode 79 of Grow Yourself Up, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Colleen Adrian. Colleen is an author and a connected parenting coach for parents of sensitive, spirited kids. She's a mom, a stepmom, and a grandma, and she lives on a small island on the west coast of Canada. I mean, doesn't that sound amazing? I was like, wow, can I come and live on your island? Um, Colleen helps parents of sensitive, spirited kids who struggle with intense emotions, including anxiety, aggression, perfectionism, tantrums, and rebellion. Through parent coaching, somatic therapy, and online courses, she helps the parents learn skills for connection and emotional regulation, both for themselves and their children, so they can leave behind authoritarian parenting methods and have the strong bond with their kids that they're deeply longing for. She specializes in creating secure attachment and somatic healing. She's passionate about nurturing authenticity, connected relationships, creativity, and supporting kids to grow into their unique selves. She believes the world needs more compassionate human beings who are living authentically from their hearts. And Colleen is at um, Colleen Parent Right on Instagram. And all her um, social details, her social uh, media details will be in the um, show notes. And we had a wonderful conversation talking about how important it is, We, you know, really around the nervous system. And um, we also talked a bit about astrology and how we could use that to help, like, um, get a perspective on where our kids are. And um, I think you might find that really interesting. I personally, in the last three or four years have found understanding more about the astrology of um, like the overall astrology and what's going on in my life in terms of transits really helpful in terms of giving some additional context. And also something I appreciated from this was about how when we have anxiety, when our children move into the teenage years and are, um, you know, growing up and going out without us, how what we really have to confront um, in those scenarios and how we have to kind of ultimately trust and let go. And Colleen talks about that really beautifully. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of richness and wisdom in this conversation. Um, I've got a bit of a cold, so that's why my voice sounds a bit 
sort of croaky. Um, and it's going to be released on, what is the date it'll be released on? The 19th of December. So if you celebrate Christmas, you'll be in um, the full Christmas swing, whatever that looks like for you. And I'm sending you lots and lots of love. Okay. I hope you enjoy listening. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so delighted that you could be here with us. And um, I wondered if you could start off by telling us a bit about your path to motherhood and um, your children and, you know, like draw us a picture of, of um, your kind of your motherhood. All right. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and thank you so much for inviting me. Um, Kath, I'm delighted to be here. Um, so... So I have, um, I have a biological son, um, who's about 20 right now. And I have a stepson who is 34. And I have a four year old granddaughter, uh, which delights me. Yeah. How wonderful. Um, <laughs> I wish she lived a little bit closer. But, um, anyway, so my path to motherhood, um, you know, I became, um, a stepmom when I got married, of course. And then, and, I, I always wanted to be a mom. Let me just maybe start by saying that. Yeah. Um, and I was 40 when I met my husband. So I'd been waiting for a long time. And so I was delighted um, to, to have my stepson in my life. And then when I was 42, I had my son. And, um, you know, prior to that, I'd, I'd been a, a nurse. So I'd practiced nursing for over 20 years. Oh, wow. And... You know, everything that I had done in my life, I had learned through, you know, reading books, taking courses, taking the, so, uh, you know, I sort of approached parenting the same thing, the same way I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this, right? I'm going to, um, I'm going to be a, a, a good mom. And I had an idea of what that was going to look like. So I was reading the books. And when I found the stuff on a attachment parenting, I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is it. Like I, I have found the way I want to, um, you know, the way I want to be a parent. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know what it's like. You kind of get in there and um, things don't turn out quite the way. It's not It's not like the other things you do in your life where you can take a course and you can um, kind of gain competency in the same way as, um, you know, as nursing or, I don't know, becoming a plumber. No, I know. Right? It feels like it's the exact opposite in some ways. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that it, it brings up your, you know, your, your triggers, your old wounds and so on. So, I mean, I think a really, um, a really sort of a, a significant moment in my parenting journey of just realizing that it really wasn't working out the way I'd hoped. Yeah. Um, was when my son was kind of a toddler and a preschooler. And I was really struggling to connect with them. And, you know, uh, Gabor Mate and Gordon Neufeld's book, Hold On to Your Kids, had been published around that time. So it was new. And I read that and I was like, yes, this is it. And then, of course, I was trying to, you know, do this connecting before directing and all of this stuff. And I mean, it's a fantastic book. Um, and it wasn't working for me. And I didn't really realize until... I didn't really realize until a few years later when I started learning about nervous uh, nervous system regulation, yeah. what was actually missing and why I was struggling so hard to connect. And tell us, because um, I, I love the way you said, you know, you kind of highlighted there was the expectation of how it would be. And then in the toddler years, you kind of thought it's not going 
how I hoped. What did that actually mean for you? Like, what did that actually look like practically? The oh, like, what was your expectation, and what did it look like for you? That yeah, thanks for asking. That's um, yeah, that's a great question. I think that subconsciously, I really believed um, that if I you know, attached and connected and was patient with my son and, um, you know, gave him options and was flexible and so on. I think that I actually imagined a lot less conflict than there is. And I certainly didn't imagine tantrums and, (laughs) you know, bedtime struggles and all of those things that are just very real that happen to everybody, no matter how attached your relationship is. Yeah. So when I say it in in hindsight, that sounds really ridiculous, like to think that there would be no conflict. Well, not really. I mean, I think it's, it's, it feels because what you said about that you felt like if you were really flexible and, um, and gave options, you know, all of those things feel like you're, you're going to be so agreeable and, um, and kind of, um, kind and give options. And then it is so confronting when, they're like, no, I'm not going to go to bed, um, or <laughs> yeah. um, or just have a meltdown about you know whatever you know if something has has triggered them, and and it's so um, it's like so jarring the way it comes into our nervous system, and so I think if we don't have, mm-hmm. I don't know because you you have that abstract idea people talk about children having meltdowns, but the lived reality of how invasive it is. Is difficult to convey, I think, before you've gone through it. Yes. Yes, I agree 100%. And, um, you know, and I think that's the other piece. There, like there's the expectation. And then what am I going to do with this child? And then there's the impact that it has on your own nervous system. Yeah. Which is absolutely 100% jarring, right? And I was struggling to stay regulated as it as it was. And I didn't realize that at the time. But I you know, I was sleep deprived and I happened to have adrenal fatigue, which I didn't learn until a few years later. So there was all sorts of other hormonal things going on with my energy, my inability to sleep because of high cortisol levels. Yeah. So there was all of that. And, you know, I was actually telling my son the, the other day, just like a kind of a funny little story that, you know, is funny now, but at the time, you know, speaking of jarring, you know, we had our house was set up so that they he could kind of run around in a circle, you know, to go through the living room and, you know, back into the kitchen and through the dining room. And I would be standing at the counter, um, making some making a meal. Yeah. And he'd come by and he'd whack me kind of in my sacral area. Oh my gosh. <laughs> And I would, and it was all in fun to him, right? But um, it was startling for me, right? It would just, it was overwhelming and it would just kind of send me right over the edge. And, you know, I said to somebody recently, like it was a few years later when I started learning more about, you know, healing work and doing somatic work and so on. Like, I think that I actually was actually quite shut down in my sacral area. Like, I think there was, on some subconscious level, I think he was kind of kind of wake me up, right? So the ultimate kind of um, teacher or kind of um, calling you into something. Mm-hmm. And that's so interesting what you say, both about the adrenal fatigue and, the, and your sacral area. Like, I'd love to hear more about both of those. How did you kind of, because it's one thing to notice when we've got a toddler 
oh, this is not really going down how I wanted to, or, or this is really hard. <laughs> yeah. But how did you support yourself? Were you already um, working in the parenting space? Did you had you transitioned from nursing? Like, how did you kind of move through that? Well, I was a stay-at-home mom at the time, so I hadn't gone back to nursing. And ultimately, I didn't end up going back to nursing. I ended up, you know, training in um, several energy healing modalities, including Reiki and so on. And, oh, and then I transitioned to um, parent coaching and somatic work and nervous system regulation. But um, at the time, um, I was you know, seeing my own practitioners for healing work to help calm my nervous system. So I was seeing practitioners, you know, that helped me, you know, like acupuncture, um, craniosacral therapy, massage. I was having some body work to try to help settle my nervous system. Yeah. Um, what happened, you know, and again, in hindsight, for me, and I know everybody has a different path, but for me, um, the somatic work has been the most helpful. And so those earlier years of doing acupuncture and other things without the somatic work, sometimes they'd calm me for a few days and then sometimes they'd send me into a bit of, I'd, I'd go into a bit of a spin again. Yes. Um, cause it wasn't grounded enough in my body. I don't know if that's an yes. adequate explanation, but it wasn't until I did somatic work that it started to land and I, I didn't go into a spin anymore after a session. Yes. If that makes sense. And I think that um, I love that you mentioned um, all of that body. Like I found also craniosacral therapy has been so grounding and resourcing for me. Um, mm. And I think that like all of those things are in some way, if we've had our own trauma and we're going into parenthood, I wish that you could, there was like a program that people could have that sort of stuff because um, although something we do need, I think there's some somatic, when you say somatic work, what do you actually mean? Are you talking about somatic experiencing or? Yeah, I'm talking about somatic experiencing and I just recently finished a training program called um re relational somatic therapy and what the teacher has done has integrated you know the somatic experiencing that Peter Levine teaches with um a lot of other trainings that she's done with several other teachers and it incorporates um a piece about supporting um folks who have had early childhood trauma. And I think that's so um so necessary, really so necessary. And um, tell us then, like going back to your own motherhood journey, where did you go after, you know, when he got older? How did, how did it kind of transform? Yeah. So, um, you know, it felt, um, you know, bumpy and fumbly in those early years. And of course, it still has lots of those moments. And I think that's true for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, but a pivotal moment in my learning how to connect with him and really changing things was discovering, um, the information about polyvagal theory and nervous system regulation yeah. and really realizing um, how much I needed to do in terms of my own nervous system regulation. And that was when I started doing some somatic work myself. And my son was 13 at the time. 
So I always tell parents, you know, it's never too late yeah. <laughs> right, to make changes. I have a pretty good relationship with him now. I'll just share as a um, something hopeful for people who, you know, might discover these things later because it's always, it's always possible to shift your relationship. So I love that. I really want you to emphasize that because that thing about hope, it can feel um, when we, because even in like in the earlier years, when we do things that we later learn are perhaps not as nourishing as we hoped or, um, you know, maybe didn't help our child in their own nervous system because we didn't know about all that stuff. There can be so much shame that comes up and mm-hmm. um, terrible guilt. And I think that there's always like the the returning to the relationship and really nourishing and honoring that is always there. But also not beating up ourselves for the things that we didn't know, you know, Hmm. like a lot of the science for some people wasn't even around. And that kind of approach that so many of us have of, I'm going to really like um, read all the books and then I'm just going to like nail mothering, like I nailed nursing or like I nailed my career before, you know, it's so, um, it's, it's so unfamiliar that we can't do something and it's so confronting when something is so, difficult so yeah i sort of what you want to say to the listeners please forgive yourself for what you didn't know or what you weren't able to do yeah absolutely i'm so um appreciating that you emphasize that and um and also you know forgiving yourself for what you do know and still slip in because it's it's the automaticness of the nervous system right that you just can't override, you know, and I often tell my own clients, it's like, it's that automatic, you know, if you're chopping vegetables in the kitchen, and you drop your butcher knife, your body jumps back before you think about it. And it's designed to keep us safe. And, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't serve anymore. So, you know, healing work is available. But in the meantime, the repair work that you do with your child not only helps keep your relationship connected, but it um, it gives your kids permission by your example that it's okay to mess up and to repair. So they learn the skill of repairing. They learn that it's okay not to be perfect. And it really, I think, supports, you know, you mentioned the shame. It supports, you know, the intergenerational pattern. It supports the healing of that shame that we all tend to pass down from one generation to the next because we didn't have enough holding when we were kids and our parents didn't. And, you know, that shame piece is so like interrupting that in any way we can. It's just so important. And I I, I noticed my own like body and nervous system, even as you were just talking about that, really just letting something go and setting because it's so, um, even though I know that stuff, it's so calming to hear you tell it back to me about how, you know, we interrupt the shame. And I think that hmm. we're learning so much more about how important it is to have rupture so that you can have repair. Because what you what you said in the beginning about you were surprised that there was so much conflict. Hmm. And so when we haven't ourselves experienced lots of little relational conflicts, it's so... um it's so destabilizing actually, because then it immediately leads us to think there is definitely something wrong here. Mm -hmm. And actually there's nothing wrong. It's, it's, yes, 
that's the way relationships roll. But um, that's right. I think that often parenting challenges are compounded by the fact that we have no model of of actually real life relationships where there's relational safety, um, and embedded in that relational safety is the the like the rupture and repair model. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But anyway, I took you away from what we were talking about about you know your motherhood journey and and how you know how it transitioned when you when your son was a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um. Yeah. So thank you. That was, that felt important as well. So, um, so yeah. So when he was around 13, I somehow discovered, well, I discovered Irene Lyon's work. Um, I don't know if you know. Yeah. She's in Vancouver and I did her smart body, smart mind program. And, and then I started doing, um, somatic, um, work, healing work one-on-one with my own practitioner. Um, and, that starting to learn about my own, like gaining some interoception, some, you know, increased awareness of my own inner body landscape and my inner body experiences and what was going on with my emotions, um, building my capacity to stay present with those um, really helped me um, to shift my relationship with my son. It was, um, it was pivotal and it was life-changing. Yeah. Um, so much so that I actually created a course called How to Help Your Child Calm and Regulate. But of course, integrated with that needs to be your own work in regulating yourself because kids co-regulate. But lots of parents don't realize that, right? Yeah. Um, we're still really transitioning in a very big way from um, kind of behavior focus to, you know, relationship and connection focus. So interestingly, the, <laughs> you know, I, as I was learning that my son was just really going into the, into the, I don't know what you call it, the depths of the teenage years, you know, 15, I think is typically that age where they're kind of tend to be most rebellious. If they're going to be rebellious at all, they have their first Saturn return. If you follow astrology, oh, I love astrology. So, or that not their Saturn return, their um, opposition. Sorry. What did you say? I love astrology. So I love hearing you talk about is so is the first Saturn return at 14 or 15? Um, it's opposition. That was my error. I should have said, um, opposition. So okay. it's their first Saturn opposition. So they actually really, um, feel the limits that are coming from outside of them. So it's a time when, if anything, you really need to back off on telling them what to do and ask a lot of curious questions more than ever because they really want to they really will, they'll project that the limits that they're feeling in their life, and they're going to get them from every direction because they're having a Saturn opposition, but they will pinpoint you and lay the blame on you. So, you know, you really need to try to step into being an ally as much as possible and asking curious questions so that they can feel your care about their safety. But it, it was interesting that that happened right around the time that I was just really dipping deeply into the somatic work myself because, you know, I sometimes tell people if I had to sum it up, it's like my son was trying things out and doing things that were, you know, sometimes a little outside of my comfort zone, sometimes way outside of my comfort zone. 
you know, and I would do my best to connect with him during the daytime. And I would lay awake, like panicking in a cold sweat at night, right? Yeah. And then I'd head straight back to my practitioner the next week and just keep working on my own stuff. Yeah. And I think that's so, um, like, please tell us more about that. Because what you said about, um, you know, the, the fact that there's limits coming from everywhere when he's in this phase of really trying to, um, like explore. And I actually, I love astrology in a way that in the, in the way that it supports um, our understanding of things. And it feels mm. so comforting in many ways to know what goes on around, um, you know, your birth chart and, and when planets make a transition or whatever. But, um, how did you, like, how did you work to connect with him? How did you be curious? How did you kind of join him in his, in his like space? Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I've written quite a few, I've written a few blog posts on it as well. Um, I remember, um, I remember focusing a lot on being curious about his experience and staying focused on those things. I remember offering him, um, things that might, you know, support him, like if he wasn't taking time to eat you know, and didn't really want to join us for a family meal, or if he was home during the day, like offering him, you know, making him something that I knew he loved to eat, um, talking with him about things that he was interested in. And if we needed to have a conversation about something that, uh, you know, where I was going to be setting a limit or where I maybe, you know, this happens often, you know, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to get away with setting a limit because he was going to do what he wanted anyways. I would talk about safety. So how will you know you're safe, right? How will you know, how can you keep yourself safe? So, you know, drinking alcohol in the early years, right? Um you know, you have something to eat first. How would you tell if your friend was in trouble? Sometimes that's a bit of a an easier way to broach the subject because it's not yeah. just about them. It's like how would you how would you know if your friend had had too much? Yeah. How can you tell if somebody's had so much that they might have to go to the hospital? And there was a there was a um an incident that happened in the news right around the time he was that age where there had been a kid that had been given something. I don't remember the details anymore, but it was over on the lower mainland, kind of in the Vancouver area. And he had the, the, the friends was a kid who wasn't very popular kind of in the school, you know, in the yeah. peer with his peer groups. And so he had joined in and used whatever substance they were using. I can't remember if it was alcohol or some drug. Drugs. And um, he died uh, ultimately. But he had been, I know, I'm sorry, trigger warning. He had been behaving very erratically beforehand. And they had videotaped him. Oh. And the videotape had been, I know, devastating. And it, and it was a, a teachable moment for my son, not in a, you know, you better not do that, but in the, how would you be able to tell the difference? Yeah. Like kids laugh sometimes at, at other children or other teens, you know, ha, 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 it's funny, you know, like, yeah. um, you know, they're really drunk or whatever. How would you know the difference between whether it's funny and whether you needed to get help? So, you know, taking opportunities like that, not to... Um, you know, be preachy or, 
you know, which is tempting to do because you're panicked as a parent, right? You know, I remember my best, <laughs> I remember my best friend saying to me more than once, like, I just need them to be alive, right? I just yeah. need them to be alive. Exactly. And I think that you really hit the nail on the head there because there's such a tendency, especially if we've got any aspects of control, um, to, to almost want to shut down any exploration because at least yes. then you can guarantee safety. But yes. That does no, um, does no favors to the child. And if we think about those, the separate separation, differentiation and individuation hmm. that go on kind of continuously through childhood, but there's that big separation period and individuation in toddlerhood and then again in, um, like the teenage years. And I love the way you've sort of been like alongside them or him. Um, because I think what you feel like there's been multiple incidences like that as well in the UK where, where someone's either taken some, some drugs or mostly it's drugs more than drinking actually. And then there are videos afterwards of them. And you can clearly see like as an observer from the outside, wow, you could see that they need to go to the hospital or something. But, um, I think that's such a lovely way that you've, that you've put it. And how did you kind of, um, you know, if you, if you said when you knew there wasn't going to be a way that he would listen to the limit, like for example, if you said you need to come home at, I don't know, 2 a.m. and you knew he would come home at 5 a.m. or whatever he was doing, how did you kind of soothe yourself? How did you, um, like contain and, um, just be present for yourself in those, um, challenging sort of times? Yeah. Um, that's a great question. I mean, sometimes I was just awake and, you know, panicking <laughs> or feeling anxious and, you know, feeling, you know, feeling my butt on the bed or the chair or wherever I was and feeling the support of the environment with me. Um, you know, I said to somebody recently, you know, you switch from telling them what to do to praying, right? I was, I was on my knees, right? Like, uh, you, you, you know, there's a real realization that you don't have a hundred percent control. And even if you did, that there's things that are, are going to happen that are outside of your control. There's people have accidents, whatever, even if you are able to say be home at this time and they do. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, you know, handing it over and asking, you know, my guides and, you know, who, uh, yeah, for, for support. Right. I know sometimes my children are not at that stage because they're seven, but um, I say sometimes when I don't, I just say, guard me, guide me, guard me, guide me. Like sometimes yes. I just repeat that in the hope that I'll get some kind of guidance from my angels or my guides. Um, and Colleen, tell us about your own journey with control. Was that something that you've struggled with? Um, like, did you have to consciously put control down? I know that I struggle with control. Yeah, yeah. And I haven't thought of it so much of, as control, although that for sure has been there. I, you know, I've, I've thought of it as my anxiety, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an ongoing journey for me. <laughs> my son is 20. Um, I have, you know, probably less anxiety now than I did, but I don't know. I heard Stephen Porges speak recently and, um, you know, I loved what he said and I had never thought of it about it this way. He said, I, he said, I, I, I'm not even sure that I like to use the word anxiety because it, 
puts a label on something that is <clears throat> beyond our control in many ways because of that automation of the nervous system, right? So, you know, he said, he says, I like, I feel like it's much more compassionate to talk about kind of what you, what you need and, you know, and, um, yeah, and how you can hold that. So to answer your question, yeah, it, it's the anxiety to control has been an ongoing journey for me. And, um, you know, I support myself by, um, you know, doing all of the things that I learned to do in my somatic work, you know, again, whether that's feeling the support of the, the environment around me, um, orienting yeah, a little bit to the environment, doing the things that I know give my nervous system a message that everything is okay. Um, and yeah, even, even yesterday I had a, um, a situation with my son where I was, um, you know, I was, you know, helping. I was offering some unsolicited advice that he didn't really need, right? And I could tell he was a little bit irritated with me, and I spoke up about it. And at first he was like, no, no, it's okay. And then I was like, you know what, I can hear it in your voice, uh, you know, and that's just, uh, you know, really an indication of how far our relationship has come because he was like, okay, yeah, you're right, right? And he was just honest with me and it was like, okay, thanks for telling me. I can, you know, I can try not to do that anymore. But that tendency to be more tuned into other people than to myself and to offer helping or unsolicited advice when it's not been asked for, <laughs> I think is part of that whole, so I don't know, do you find the same thing, Kath? Yes, that's a big thing. Um, well, I mean, I would, if I want to say, so I'm going to cross my fingers to remember to come back to that, but I love what you said about, um, what Stephen Paul just said about anxiety, because I think that for many of us, I mean, I speak sometimes, I don't know if I say my anxiety, but I think many of us label it my anxiety as if it's, if it's something of us and really, or that somehow our fault, mm. but really, um, it's and and lots of the tools that are offered for it are cognitive tools, like you know, top down tools. And really, when we haven't received enough co regulation and had our needs met, anxiety is the inevitable, um, it's, it's the inevitable thing that's going to happen. And so, I've really, um, mm -hmm. had to be very kind to myself, I guess, and notice how costly it is. And also that it's absolutely a natural consequence of kind of my own like life and circumstances. Um, but I think that's so loving that he said, what do you need? Like, what is it that we need to not feel so anxious? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I really like that. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. And going back to that unsolicited advice. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge, um, because I think the very essence of being a parentified child or a caretaker, um, and learning to, to, to pivot always on others' needs, when we were doing that for our parents or, or doing that for any other adult when we shouldn't have been doing that as a child, being helpful and kind of thinking about all the different scenarios is kind of the currency of that. You know, it's kind of, mm -hmm. um, 
I sometimes think how uh, that's how I made myself valuable as a child or useful. That's how I felt that I was getting any love. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the ultimate adaptation so that we can try and get something if our childhood is a, like um if if our childhood was a bit of an emotional desert, you know? Um yes. I mean, do you do you link anything of of this to your childhood? How do you what what do you and you may not want to talk about this, by the way. I didn't. Uh... Um, well, I think that, I mean, I think that everybody has some experiences of not being attuned to whether it was a little bit or a lot when you're a child. I think that the other reason that we do that, I, I agree 100% with what you said, you know, that we tend to caretake, you know, in that emotional desert. And we also, I think, when we're really sensitive and we can pick up on other people's feelings, Caretaking them feels like caretaking ourselves because yes. when they're, when they feel better, we can't feel their, <laughs> their distress anymore. Right. So really, no. y- you know, it's, it feels like, you know, for lack of a better way of explaining it, it feels like self care when you're a child and you do it automatically because you caretaking them caretakes. Yeah, makes us feel better. And then from an attachment, because I'm always fascinated about that, um, because I, the way I conceptualize that is that that hypervigilance, um, which which underlies that ability to kind of read the room or, or be very empathic or be very attuned. Um, I really believe that's an adaptation that we developed really early on. Um, but I don't like, then I sort of go back and forth with, with, um, is, is, is there, because like, for example, with one of my daughters, one of them is much more attuned or much more goes into a caretaking place with me. And, um, sometimes, and then I wonder, um, whether is she hypervigilant or is that something about, there's less resilience in her system. So she picks up on much more from me. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I don't know if we've got a lot of research on that. I don't know. I think it's just really interesting. Yeah. And it's so interesting for you with twins too, to notice a difference between them when you've, you know, presumably parented them the same way. And, you know, what comes to mind for me is, you know, like, you know, in addition to all of the stuff that comes in from our parenting journey or our journey as a child, then there's your karmic journey as well, right? So, you know, presumably they came in with some slightly different things to learn, maybe as well, right? Exactly. Tell us more about um, the the karmic journey. And tell us about your energy healing stuff as well. That sounded really, I love um, energy healing. So, yeah. Um, well, I think the, the, the karmic journey, um, you know, I think that, um, I think that we do come, I think that we choose our parents and I do think we come to learn, you know, whatever we came to learn on this soulful path. Right. And so, you know, that's what I, that's actually probably another thing that was a little bit soothing uh, for my, with me, with my son when, you know, in, in his earlier teenage years when he was making choices, it was like, you know, how can I support him on that karmic or soulful journey without, um, and stay connected to him and stay aligned and do my own healing work alongside of him, but not override his 
yeah, not feel like you need to exert power and control over his karmic journey, essentially. That's right. You know, knowing that for some people that means their child, you know, makes a mistake that results in something that's irreparable, right? That's, um, yeah. Um, and that's the thing we all hope is not us. That's the thing we all hope is not us. That's the, that's the hard one to face. Absolutely. So, you know, when I say I was on my knees, I, I, you know, I mean it. I was really like, I had moments of feeling kind of despairing and realizing how little control I had. And then I had beautiful moments of, you know, connecting where I was like, okay, you know, it's going to be okay. Right. And there's this interesting thing that, you know, I don't think I've written very much about or spoken very much about publicly yet, but, you know, it seems as if, for me, it has seemed as if even if my son was making some decisions that I wasn't necessarily thrilled about, it has seemed as if if I felt connected to him and I felt like he wasn't pushing me away, I have felt a, a, some relief with that. Yes. You know what I mean? Well, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, because the the comfort in knowing that there's connection there, no matter what happens, yeah, is is everything actually. I think, um, and knowing because when we when we're connected, we really know we've done our best to be there for them, and um, that that energetic they will feel that energetically when we're connected. We all kind of feel that when we're connected. Yes, and um, that's really comforting. And I think what you said about um, cause I, um, I don't know that much about karmic journeys, but I really believe, um, for example, that my soul has chosen to be here to have an experience in my physical body now at this time hmm. for, for, for many reasons. And that my children are teaching me a lot of things and helping me heal unhealed pain in my own like lineage. But, um, <clears throat> what you said about, um, you know, taking comfort sort of in the arc of he's on his own journey and I don't have to try and frustrate that or alter it or control it. I think that that's so, um, I've been brought to my knees in some ways with my girls, um, even in the last two years around, um, our schooling journey and various different things and, um, like trusting that they will be okay and that they've got like a higher power to guide them and that um, I don't have to be the architect of everything. Mm-hmm. It's sometimes the only thing I can do to make myself feel better, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I love that. And I, I think that um, that's why it's really important, and I'm sure you already do this, um, and for our listening audience, is to take those moments to really help them to feel into what they're noticing in their bodies and how would you know? Yeah. How would you know, right? Um, you know, because I really believe that their bodies will never steer them wrong if they can stay connected yeah. to those feelings. Yeah. You know, um, do, are, do you, have you read much of Candace Pert's work, the late? Dr. Candace Pert. Oh, yes, I've got um, molecules of emotion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So her molecules of emotion, and she's got, she had a, um, 
um, an audio book called Your Body is Your um, Subconscious Mind. And it's just like two or three hours long. But she goes into detail about how because those peptides that are actually what um, cause us to feel the sensations of our mo- of our emotions in our body, because those are all throughout our body, they're not here. They're, our body is our subconscious mind. Yeah. That's kind of the link to us getting messages and in our intuition about our soulful journey, right? Yeah. So supporting our kids from early on to say, how does that feel in your body? And how, how would you know? Like, how would you know if that was the right decision? Right. And I love that because I think what you said about um, for your son, how would you know you're safe? Yeah. Because sometimes I sit with clients and I say, and I think I've even said this on the podcast, when we ask someone a question and when we've been what you and I were talking about, about caretakers or offering lots of unsolicited advice and focusing on the other person's journey, we often, that comes with self-abandonment. Mm-hmm. So we not, we, our interoception is either we've sort of denied it in some way, or we're not really that connected to it. But always, I think when you ask someone a question, we always get an immediate answer of what feels right for us. Hmm. And it's like there's a sense of ease in the body. Yes. And yeah, so I, I, I think I, I love what, um, I, I haven't read that, that's, that subconscious, the body is a subconscious mind, but I've got the molecules of emotion one. And, um, it's so supportive then because you can use, um, like when you have unpleasant sensations in your body, you can kind of spread the sensations out to sort of support yourself in tolerating them. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, I haven't haven't said to my children, how will you know you're safe? I do it with food where I say to them, what does your tummy say? How, like how, um, mm-hmm. what is it communicating to you? Because I've often really just want them to eat more basically because they were so small and because they were premature. Hmm. And so I've really had to focus on helping them. Um, well, actually then they don't even need help with it because they're in touch with their appetite, you know, but I think there's often a process that we do where we teach children to override their interoception. Yes. You know, do you agree? I mean, do you know? I that? totally agree, you know, and, you know, to go back to what we talked about earlier, for me, it's been my anxiety. So, you know, every time that there's a clash like that, you know, I'm back to my own therapist, you know, unraveling what it is for me, right? Yeah. And then the more I unravel for myself and the less triggered I am, the more capacity I have to hold for my son. Yeah. It's such a big, beautiful journey, isn't it? It's just unraveling. It, it is. Yeah. And and as you sit here, you know, as someone who's the mother of a um, a twenty year old, and and also um, your your um, your stepson who's thirty four, how do you? What can you tell us? Some of us who are in the much more earlier years of parenthood, what what can you tell us about? What you notice about the trajectory of how things have gone and your journey, and like what's brought in the most ease for you in your mothering journey, and in terms of how you hold and support yourself. What's brought in the most ease? Um, well, um, in addition to the things that I've already talked about, you know, which is the healing work that I do regularly and the, um, you know, the 
nervous system, like recognizing kind of what's mine and what's theirs, um, really um, having at least a couple of friends that I can talk to that I know won't judge, you know, and I've been fortunate to have friends who's, you know, I had my son when I, it was 42. So lots of my friends had had kids already. So I had friends whose kids were further ahead. And I actually had the blessing of seeing my stepson kind of go through those teen years before my son went through and he lived with us for a time. So, you know, you see them come out the other end and that offers a bit of reassurance, you know, or having friends hold space for me, right, in my moments of despair or whatever without trying to fix it. And then also reminding me, you know, like, you're, you know, you're his mother, right? Like, it's, I mean, there's no guarantee that it's going to be okay. None of us have that guarantee. But typically, our kids turn out a lot like us, right? Yeah. Right. And typically the things that we've taught them when we were, when they were young, somewhere the thread of that comes through. So, yes. I think that holding, you know, and, you know, to go back to the conversation about the early childhood trauma and the anxiety, you know, that was a piece that was missing for a lot of us when we were younger is just that holding for the emotions, right? So that holding both whether it was in therapy or whether it was with friends who knew how to hold without trying to fix it um, really supported me um, through the whole journey. Yes. And I think um, I get people sometimes asking me um, kind of how come I identify with so much of the stuff you talk about, so as in what I talk about, um, because I don't feel like I've got, um, I don't feel like I had any trauma in childhood or I can't kind of point to anything. And yet all of this stuff is true for me. And I think that um, the early um, developmental trauma, like, um, or even generational stuff that didn't happen to you, but has happened in your, in your lineage. Um, and that piece around not having our emotions hold, held, I think that's like the biggest maybe the single biggest thing that is so common across so much of our population that we were just kind of um, not held and, and perhaps squashed, especially in our, in our expression of distress mm-hmm. um, and how, what a huge legacy that goes on to leave in our bodies in terms of, um, you know, like what we're left with. Yes. Do you notice that within your own kind of clan population? Uh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that tends to be the type of, because I've focused a lot on, you know, perfectionism and the nervous system regulation, that tends to be a lot of the client population that comes to me are people that are, you know, struggling with shame, know how they want to parent. Um, but yeah, having a hard time either with their child's emotions or with their child's confidence or with, um, yeah, and feeling bad about how they're parenting and just not able to break the habits. And that's that that's that automated response that's cropping up, you know. And for me, learning about nervous system regulation, um, I should just add, really helped me to let go of some of my own shame. Yes. Around not being able to parent the way I, because realizing that it's, 
that it's stemming from what's going on in the autonomic nervous system. It's like, you know, it's like that, not, you know, jumping back from the butcher knife that, that I said earlier. It's like, it, it just happens. Yeah. And I think that's such, I think of all the things that are so de-shaming, specifically polyvagal theory and the understanding that it's, that we're responding unconsciously, you know, like neuroception is operating out of our level of awareness um, all of the time. Yes. Um, is so, so, so de-shaming. And that, that, cause I notice my nervous system compared to my husband's, I'm much more jumpy. I'm much more, um, mm. if my, if my child was running around and hitting me in the sacral area, I would also feel very, you know, um, like, um, just invaded basically. And, um, mm-hmm. and noises come into me a lot more. And I, I have, um, you know, a, like an exaggerated startle response. So, and that's all, that's all automatic. And so many of us have that. So I'm, I'm pleased that you brought up that piece about, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that it's, that it's, it's not our fault, basically. That's the biggest message I think we really have to learn. Yeah, absolutely. And it really is very hard when your kids are having a tantrum and you're that sensitive and you're that vigilant because of your own past. It is, it is hard to navigate. Yeah, really hard to navigate. Yeah. And Colleen, I'm conscious of the time. Um, mm-hmm. is there anything that you would like to share? I want you to tell us about how people can work with you, but, um, Hmm. Is there anything else that you'd really love to share about your journey? I think that I've covered lots of the main points. Yeah, I'm conscious of the time too. I know parents are busy. Um, I, I really just would like to, you know, we just mentioned the shame piece. I just would really like to um, emphasize that when we start to learn to get into the repair cycle instead of feeling ashamed and kind of collapsing when we, you know, yelled at our child or have done or said something we regret or have handled something in a way. When we start to learn to to have enough capacity to get into that more of a repair cycle with our kids, um, there's a really beautiful thing that happens. Your relationship just becomes so much more real. Yeah. So... I don't have the fantasy, you know, relationship with my son that I thought I would have. And some of that was even not conscious. I just had this kind of, yeah, fantasy idea. Um, I thought it was going to be easier too. <laughs> it wasn't. I love what you say about that more realness and letting go of the fantasy because the fantasy is so, um, well, it's so unreal, like, I mean, so kind of perfect, which doesn't exist, but, um, there's such a, um, I don't know, there's something so comforting about actually being in a real relationship where we can be ourselves and where our children still love us. Because I think there's actually so much healing that comes for us when we get love from them, mm-hmm. even in our imperfection. Yes. Like I didn't have that as a child. And so I think our children, um, you know, sometimes when I apologize to them, um, they'll say, don't be so rude. I didn't like it when you do that. Don't be so rude. Mm. Um, and, and I'm able to really like, oh, I know I'm really sorry. That was really scary for your body. You really felt so scared. And, and I, in some ways I love it when they shout at me, not like I, lo- I don't love it, but I'm like, yes, yes. Tell me how you felt, you know, really like protest my behavior. Yeah. And then, um, 
and then kind of settle back into things. And it's kind of, it's okay, you know? Beautiful. Yeah. They have a, they can discharge that energy in an appropriate way. And I always imagine them like saying no, like when they're a teenager, right? It's like, yes, you're protecting that, that appropriate response. Actually, it's good to have children who, you know, we don't want compliant children. And so, um, like absolutely talking back to us and telling us how we really make them feel that's good like if you're listening to this and you think because sometimes I sometimes I really wish I had really compliant children because it's a lot to hold when your children are very feisty and kind of have got lots to say but um I'm grateful for that I'm really grateful so yeah yes now Colleen tell us um tell us about um how people can work for you sorry not work for you work with you um, in, you know, in the parenting space and what, um, what offerings you have. Um, and, um, I know that you're Colleen Adrian on Instagram and that will all be in the, um, in the show notes, but how can people engage with you? Yes. Well, um, we can link my Instagram and my YouTube are probably the main places that I am, um, down below and, um, link my website as well. I work one on one with, um, parent clients, um, both to do um, practical coaching strategies or um, relational somatic therapy. So supporting parents to unravel and do some healing, some somatic healing work around um, their early childhood um, experiences. Um, I have a couple of online courses as well. One is called Raising Confident Kids and one is called How to Help Your Child Calm and Regulate. And those will be those are available online as self-study, but I also offer them live once a year. So both of those will be coming up in 2024. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. We really, you know, like we need, we need like lots of help in this space. Um, it's been such a joy to be with you and to hear. I wish we'd actually talk more about the soul stuff, but we can do that another time. But um, it's been so lovely to be with you. And thank you so much for taking the time to join me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been uh, my pleasure, Kath. Thank you. You've been listening to Grow Yourself Up, hosted by Kath Cunahan. We'll be back next week with a new episode supporting you to better understand and tend to yourself for more heart-centered, connected, authentic, and resilient living.